Welcome to Aperia, the podcast, where we discuss the great questions of classical Christian education. We're your hosts. I'm Tim Dernlin. And I'm Danielle Dillenschneider. Join us as we navigate our way through the labyrinth of questions. Today, on our last episode of the series, Education is Formation, I'd like us to end with some audience questions. Now, in the future, I'd love to have more people maybe submit formal questions. That's fine. But a lot of the times, these questions are just coming up from people that we've talked to who've been listening. And I actually thought some of their questions were maybe going to be helpful to for us to discuss, Tim, today. Uh, concerning, you know, just specific application of this. Uh, so I, I uh, want us to talk through some really specific questions I've got and uh, just, just kind of hear some of your thoughts as well before we transition to our next series. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to, to it, Danielle. Okay. So one of the first questions that someone asked me that, that really kind of came to mind as, as maybe a specific scenario that might be helpful for some listeners, uh, how could a new teacher get prepared for a course with this goal of education as formation in mind. So essentially, what do they do? How do they put this into practice? And uh, I think that one's kind of challenging. And in some ways, I actually thought about this one for myself because I'm not getting ready to teach a new course, but I'm getting ready to teach a course that I haven't taught in a couple of years and uh, rhetoric one again. And I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. But I've been thinking too, okay, so what do you do? Um, even my husband's going to be starting a, teaching a Bible course and he's kind of been asking me, okay, what do I what do? I do? If this is the goal, then how do you make sure you do that? Well, j- just the fact that um, we're asking the question as teachers, um, it puts us uh, a, lo- a lot of steps ahead in the game when we're trying to work on formation with our students. So keeping that forefront in mind, um, it sounds uh, like a, a simple answer or uh, evading specific details, but having it in mind, what are you doing? Uh, everything you do, everything you say, everything you read, every activity you do will form the students. It'll form them in some way, it just will. And so um, so some specific ways to do that um, are uh, are what we're talking about, right? So, <laughs> what do you yes. what what do you, what do you have what do you have for us, Danielle? I know that you're a master teacher. I know you're just waiting to to tell me I'm wrong and that you have the, the answer. So, uh, what do you have for us? Well, no, I think I think one thing that um, is sometimes our tendency is okay. I've got to go find this curriculum for or, or this textbook, this workbook for teaching. Uh, I'll give an example, like Augustine's Confessions, right? So that used to be what I thought I needed to do if I was getting ready to teach a work I'd not taught before or what what have you I had this summer. So, okay, let me go find this curriculum to buy. And then just to like, okay, that's good. I've got that in my back pocket. I'll just give that to students, right? But let, let me interrupt you for a second. Danielle, are we teaching curriculum? No. What are we teaching? <laughs> well... <laughs> souls we're teaching from ourselves right yeah that's right we're teaching from ourselves and i'm just saying i'm just parroting back what i've heard you say a lot mm-hmm. that the students are learning us right exactly um, a student will become like their teacher so the curriculum is just a springboard right um to exactly. actually getting into the formation i'm so sorry you were you were heading somewhere no you're you fine you're fine i think that's just our tendency is to think okay 
well, I guess we need to go find this curriculum. My my advice actually is is not necessarily that. I think, uh, especially for things like literature, Bible, history, my advice is always to just get your sort of first eyes or ears on the page read down. Like uh, if you're teaching, for example, uh, a, a history of, or not a history, a, a Bible course on apologetics and spiritual disciplines, as my husband is, uh, <laughs> then just read those books. Or if you like audiobooking, audiobook them, like listen to them, get get that sort of first thing. I think when I first started, I felt like I had to read every book that I was about to teach with this sort of like great, deep, you know, analytical depth. And really the best thing I could do is just make sure I'm familiar with it, you know, eyes on the page or ears on the page, um, kind of get familiar. And then from there, you know, oftentimes you'll inherit these sort of scope and sequences, right? These sort of plans. Um, some of that stuff is really overwhelming. And if you are actually trying to do a new course where you're trying to plan that yourself, uh, which I, I feel like that's been more my experience, oftentimes I try to get familiar with the content of the course. Maybe if I'm trying to, to figure out which works would be better, kind of trying some of those, listening to them or, or reading them, just a first eyes on the page read. But then identify what your course goals are. Like, what, what do I want them to be able to do this year? What what are some things that I want them to, maybe concepts I want them to really wrestle with, questions I want them to talk through, um, you know, thematic ideas to understand. That's those are those goals are really important to kind of identify. It's not necessarily the same thing as like, all right, this will be super measurable and easy to determine if they've gotten it. Um, but I think just kind of clarifying that at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm I'm glad you said that it may not be super measurable. So let's let's talk about that for just a second. So I love the concept of of uh, Adler's um, how to read a book. Right? You're saying, hey, just just kind of get through it once, get through it twice, uh, absorb things that are going to form you as the teacher, so that then you can help form the students. But when you're talking about um, uh, a theme that you want to to dwell on, give us an example of what some of those might be. So the themes for our courses where, where I teach, we have uh, essentially two basic thematic concepts that throughout the year, our humanities courses are going to kind of touch on, uh, give assignments on, give questions around that sort of thing. So uh, for 11th grade, it's knowledge and community. And so in a lot of the works you're thinking through, how do you see knowledge or, or you're kind of asking different questions surrounding that sort of idea or community. Um, how do we view community? How do we live in community? So that's kind of just a, a very vague example. So in the humanities, you're actually trying to form the students um, toward knowledge and community and, and understanding community and what, what that's like at that level. What's an example of maybe a, a, another year, ninth or 10th grade? Um, well, actually, one of my favorite ones is the 12th grade. It's suffering and the good life. So those are kind of two, two of the basic themes. And a lot of that, too, each theme is kind of strategically chosen. But if you think about your senior year, people are struggling a lot. Oftentimes in their senior year, they're suffering, if you will, for various reasons. Sometimes it's just the life stage, you know, but they're also trying to figure out what's this, what is the good life that I want to live? Like, I, I think I, I'm about to make some choices and try to figure out what I want to do with my life. So what, what is good? What, what is a good life, you know? So that's a, that's a thread you'll touch on more or less throughout the year. 
in your courses and uh, other teachers in the humanities will touch on that and and help tie it together and give formation. So that's a, that's a great mm-hmm. idea of how to prepare classes with with a theme in mind. Um, so wow, I think that's uh, that's really helpful. Yeah, and I mean, then I think from there, you know, you can get into some more specifics, especially if you don't have any sort of scope and sequence. You can kind of think through your pacing plan. Okay, so you've, you look at the page numbers, look at your weeks, um, kind of figure out maybe a loose weekly structure. I've talked about this maybe before, but uh, I think anytime you can have a sort of predictable week, uh, a weekly structure of discussion, reading, discussion, reading, that sort of thing, like how you want to structure your weeks. Um, or And then kind of from there, think through the liturgy. Like that's something I always think for uh, teachers who are new to a course, think through what do you actually want uh, your opening of your class and your ending of your class to look like? What do you want to say together? So I think those things, I think you can talk, start thinking through things like your, your ideas for assessments. Sometimes that comes to me in the summer when I'm kind of free from, from the burden of the school year. I think through, oh, well, this would be a fun project or this would be a fun assessment. Um, but kind of save those specific plans for the actual school year once you get into classroom with your kids. Speak really briefly how liturgy is formational for the students. So the things that we do, we're, we are liturgical beings, right? So the the public ceremonies, that's liturgy. The the actual things that you do every day with people are what form you, are what cause you to desire something or to love something. They build that habit, which then takes root into your heart, into your mind, and it, it cha- trains your heart, you change your affections, right? Trains your thinking. So a very simple uh, part of uh, a classroom liturgy might be the first 30 seconds where if the bell rings, if, if your school has a bell system, if you're homeschooling, there's not a bell. But when, a, when something starts, students stand up, they recite something that's on the board, eventually, hopefully from memory, and it shows uh, patience uh, as they're, it helps develop patience as they're they're um, waiting for the teacher. It helps develop unity. It helps form them in um, in community. It helps form them and uh, of a discipline of mind and habit. And so, just that first thirty seconds of the liturgy you're talking about is already formational. So these these things, and then the whole rest of the time. I love classroom discussions and Socratic dialogue. And when I'm leading one of those, um, the fruit of the spirit is always on my mind because it just seems to be um, developing love of learning, love of each other, patience for others to talk, uh, peace as you're working through tough discussions, gentleness, goodness, self-control as you're biting your tongue, just waiting to blurt out something that you, that you're so excited about. So I, that's, that's the formational things that uh, are on my mind and leading some of those. So. Yes. I think the, the, biggest encouragement I would have for teachers who are teaching a new course or who are just completely new would be to to do as much as you can in the summer just to kind of almost learn from your subject yourself, like put yourself into the, the place of a student and and set up some really intentional structures with your time, like plan that in advance and stick to it. I think there are going to be so many temptations to abandon the liturgy or just resort back to lecture but try to stick to those those structures that you plan and um, just take it a day at a time from that. Uh, I think that's the, the biggest um, help for me was kind of realizing I can't do it all perfectly, especially at the beginning, and I'm not going to 
perfectly master this, but I can keep in mind the, the goal of formation at the beginning and try daily to just read along with my students, put the engagement back on them through discussions and practices like that, you know, thoughtfully engage with liturgy in your classroom and just keep that goal in mind. And, and I think that's really helpful when you have other colleagues and people that you're working with to help you remember that too. That's beautiful. And um, we're, we're not just forming the kids, we're being formed uh, ourselves as well. So uh, that's great. Good. Absolutely. What other, what other questions do you have do, uh, came in? Well, I, I'm, I also think it would be good for us to talk to about um, what formation looks like if you're homeschooling. I think a lot of our conversations have really centered around um, more formal structures like having administrators and teachers and classrooms and and that sort of thing. But I think, uh, you know, this is this is an area, a very common area of classical Christian education. People are homeschooling or they do co-ops and things like that. Um, you probably know a little bit more about this than I do, Tim. You've had more experience with this yourself, even as a parent. So uh, would you like to speak to this one first? On, uh, on, on formation in, in homeschooling and co-ops, right? Yes. Uh, so, so yes, we, we, we did uh, homeschool three of our four children um, for four years. And then uh, I also oversaw uh, a two day a week school that had a couple hundred, a couple hundred students in it. So um, it's something I've had to give a little thought to. Um, I've, I'm growing more in my understanding of, uh, of focusing on formation, but it's, it's, uh, it's similar, very similar to the conversation we just had about of the classroom. So how will you set your space um, where you learn? Uh, so are, are you going to just lay on the floor, um, which is fine, but, but, um, and, and um, we got a lot of good work done that way uh, when, when we were teaching at home, I loved homeschooling. It's, it's just a, a brilliant thing. And when I was serving as head of school, I would typically tell parents uh, that, that were debating between enrolling in the school or homeschooling, I'd say, if you can homeschool, do it. It's, it's so it's a great thing. So uh, being formational again, as the parent, we, uh, we are the primary teacher and, um, and not partnering with, uh, with the school. And so you got to form yourself. You got to be in the, in the word yourself in scripture. You got to get enough sleep. You got to get up and orient yourself so that you're not walking in and yelling at your son and son or daughter saying, get out of bed. We're late. We overslept. We're going to got to get this day going. Um, and, uh, and so just starting that day, again, we talked about classroom liturgy in that first 30 seconds, starting the day is, is really important. And then putting an end on the day, it's really important to have a cutoff time and just say, Hey, we didn't get it done today. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep on pressing on tomorrow. Let's stop because the, Formation just continues as it always does throughout life. But yeah, specifically, I would say um, if you can have times where you engage with other individuals. Um, so if you can get some play dates or if you can get some um, some times where you just get together and discuss uh, some great things of, of, uh, of life or goodness or beauty or truth um, are important. But again, I think a beautiful space, having a liturgy either of the day or a liturgy of, of, uh, the moment is, uh, is really important. And again, it, it ties back into some of the classroom liturgy. So, um, kind of vague, any, anything more specific we should talk about on that? No, I think, uh, I, I think in some ways, maybe there's in my mind, this idea that, okay, if you're at a school, education is super formal. And if you're, if you're at home, 
it's maybe super informal, but I don't actually think that's true. I mean, sometimes my students will even say that my classroom feels more like a book club or something like that, um, which I actually think is great. That's, <laughs> that's, a great that's a great compliment. Right? I know. I was like, actually, kind of. I don't know if they meant it as a compliment, but I'll take it because I I think that actually that's kind of a, a vision of what it means to live really well is to be in community, to read something together. Um, even if you think about like church and, and small groups or Sunday schools, right, that can sound formal, but essentially what you're doing is reading something together with people that you care about coming together and talking about it and growing from that conversation. And so I think, uh, I, th I think homeschooling is a really beautiful concept to me. Obviously, I've not um, had the opportunity to uh, participate in that, but I think it's I think it's something that you can just you have so much freedom to be creative. Right. I, I think as a parent who is homeschooling. So just as you said, as long as you as the parent, you're being formed too. you're being mindful of that. You're thinking about your space and your liturgy. And if you have ideas for ways to engage your kids in learning, um, do it right. Like, I think that's, that's so cool. And I, I'm, I'm sure most parents feel probably empowered to do that, but, but in case they don't, I think it's important. Yeah. To so our, our veteran homeschoolers uh, listening to this um, are a lot farther down the line, but you know, the, the newer ones might want to pick up Charlotte Mason, especially her sixth book and, and get out and engage in nature, some, some outdoor class work or some just uh, working in, in the soil. And, um, and going on, on trips, but, but um, I, you made a good point. Sometimes we can feel stifled by the, um, the rigidness of a, of a traditional setting and, and, um, and think that there's just so many rules and boxes that we're in that it just kind of locks us up. And other times as homeschoolers, there's so much freedom that can be stifling, stifling because there's so many options and, uh, and just, but we shouldn't try and be we shouldn't try and be a quote unquote real school at home. We should we should do and be ready to pivot and take a hold of formational moments as as arise. Not I've got a little bit of unschooling in me, but not really. I mean, I'm not gonna go so far as to just let my kids set every type of agenda and curriculum. I, I'm definitely not that far. Yes. Um, but 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 um just being open open to that formation and it's going on all the time at home that it's tough. It's tough to, you never really turn it off. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I do think actually in some ways the, the, the question of homeschooling, uh, while I know that there are people who do formally uh, educate their kids at home with, you know, books that they read together and subjects that they learn and that sort of thing. I think everybody in a sense, um, as a classical Christian like family, right? So if you have your kids at a classical Christian school, to have just that really owner that ownership more so of the formation of your kids through uh, just how you lead with your faith in your home, um, how you talk about ki uh, your your kids' studies in your home, I, I think that's something that that we can't diminish. Like, oh, just drop your kids off at the school and they'll handle the education, and then they can come home, and it just ends there. You know, um, it should be you know constantly happening. So I think that's kind of something about uh, you know education as formation and, and homeschooling. That even if you don't formally homeschool, maybe you can still take away uh, from from this kind of question here that, that, you know, you still have a lot to do at home, even if you um, are, are working with a school to, to educate your kids. So. 
Yep. Love it. So the only couple other questions I think that would be good for us to talk about. Um, one thing, just what are, I've even thought this, but, but what are some of our personal takeaways from doing this series, from having these conversations? What are some things that maybe these conversations have, um, brought to light or challenged us to think about in a different way? Um, I might just say first for me, I think it would be, uh, just the intentional practice of rest, that that is very formational. Mm -hmm. So the series has really challenged me to, especially it being summer and, and thinking through a lot of this stuff too. In, in retrospect, it's been, uh, kind of challenging for me to think about how do I, how do I take time off and why do I do that? So. Yeah. And for me, it, it's very convicting as a, a father and a husband. Um, and even for my own self, just, uh, I need a little more liturgy of the home and, um, and uh, being much more intentional. Uh, it's hitting me hard right now as we're recording this. I have a, a son who's going to be heading off to college soon, and I've transitioned to um, uh, home uh, working from home and uh, having a home office. And so there's a real temptation for me and the way God's wired me. And some of my past models is to always work and never, never turn it off. And so just having some, some more intentional formational liturgies of the home and being with my family um, are, are important. But then even just, even just uh, as an administrator and uh, of a school, it's been really convicting to me how many things that uh, I sought to do over the past uh, tw- 10 or 12 years as an administrator to advance formation and some things that I allowed or did uh, that uh, promoted the deformation of our, of our community and our students. So uh, it's been really helpful just to, just to think through those things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that reflection is really, really important. Um, And I, and I hope through kind of the format of these episodes that we encourage people to, to reflect to on their own circumstances. Um, So to talk about a few other things, just uh, wrapping up this series, I know that you had asked me and a a couple other people have asked me about some of the design elements. And I know in our first series, I talked a little bit about the labyrinth and the significance of that and the logo. You're talking specifically the design of the artwork, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, let's hear more about that. It's been so beautiful what you've been putting out. Well, uh, so the the labyrinth kind of is is you know a key symbol I think for me in understanding this concept of of aporia, and I believe I explained that in the first series. But in case you know that was kind of missed, just this idea that uh, in a labyrinth you're trying to get to the center, right? Uh, you might think about the story of the Minotaur, right? And, and Daedalus making this, uh, this labyrinth to trap it in the middle. Um, it's very confusing, difficult to get through, uh, but also even in the Christian tradition, they would use prayer labyrinths to, as a, as a way to kind of meditate and pray. And, and even as a symbol for the Christian life of you're constantly moving and reaching the sort of like seemingly dead end, but you just have to sort of reorient your perspective and find something else, uh, another way to approach it. But all of this is to kind of get 
get you to the center of what's important, which is Christ. Um, and so I think that that's kind of a, a beautiful image there, a beautiful symbol for what Aperia is. But really throughout the whole website that we have and every time we come, kind of come up with a new series, I really, I love classical art, artwork, and I've studied it a lot just with undergrad and teaching art history. And my mom loves art and has and is an artist and has, I've grown up going to art museums. So I just, uh, I, I love classical artwork. And so, uh, and for this series, for the the formation, education is formation, I uh, I brought in an image from the Sistine Chapel. It's the creation of Adam, right? But you've, we kind of have seen the whole like two fingers pointing at each other. You've probably seen that. Did you recognize that that's where that was from? I think that's a pretty common image we've seen. And, and I think a lot of people know that that comes from the Sistine Chapel, but maybe not. Um, and so, yeah, so I love... I love that image and I love the whole of the Sistine Chapel. I think it's really amazing. But if we're thinking about education as formation, I, I felt like it was very fitting to think about the creation of Adam and um, how God made Adam as not just a, a sort of soul without a body, but an embodied soul and and how what we do in our bodies, that liturgy really forms us and shapes us and shapes what we love. And so even just that that interaction, that connection with the creator at the, in that image, I think is really beautiful within the whole Sistine Chapel when you see the, the larger image and then how all of that is leading to the birth and coming of Christ. I just think that's, um, it's a really beautiful image. And so I, I wanted to incorporate that for this series artwork. And, and uh, I love that you did that um, and, um, and that you linked it with creation because and, and and that you talked here just momentarily about the the soul and soul formation and that what we're um what we're doing right now matters it's not like there's a big in some ways i don't want to get off base theologically here but a big reset uh of our soul when we when we get to heaven we'll be in our glorified state but it's important it matters what we're doing now and um and with that in mind it just makes it all that much more important um, how we're forming our kids and, and our students and what we're doing for ourselves as well. So yeah, brilliant. I, I love, I love the artwork that you're doing. I mentioned to, uh, Justin the other day, um, your, your husband that, uh, that, uh, your neighborhood that you live in is very much like a labyrinth. So as many times as I've come over to your house, um, to record these episodes, I, I, um, I still have to use Google maps cause I just, can't figure out the labyrinth it's kind of it's well it's kind of analogous for my life too trying to figure out the labyrinth of my life so <laughs> yeah <laughs> for uh, sure for you yeah no but <laughs> no, no yeah for everybody. <laughs> I, I, I love your i love your artwork i love it i love it did you have any other pieces you want to talk talk about now or are, are we uh do we need to wait with uh anticipation to see the the next ones in the next episodes well i guess let's, I can let's wait yeah. Okay. We'll wait. All right, we can go ahead and talk about kind of the next series though. Give a little taste of that. So, okay. Let's um, do that. so Tim, one of, I think your great passions is to think about leadership and talk about leadership and, and you love that topic. And, um, I, I, I'm excited for this next series. Cause I, I know I'm going to get to just draw from your experience there, but this next series is really going to be more about 
leading with authority, um, understanding what authority is and understanding how to lead in the various aspects of a classical Christian school. So not only just the administrators or the board, but also parents and teachers and students. Uh, we're training them to be leaders, leaders of their peers, leaders in the culture. So I, I think just understanding leadership, it's many facets, it's it's various features. That's where I'd like to go. And uh, so that's really kind of the, the thought process for this next series. I'm looking forward to doing that series. That'll be fun. I was just talking to uh, one of my children the other day, how we're always leading, even even with our words, just that simple. We're leading people to think about something or respond to just our very words. So there's always leadership going on and uh, obviously uh, a lot bigger areas of leadership in the classroom and administration. That'll be a fun series. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it too. Well, I appreciate uh, talk, your willingness to talk through some of these questions and uh, those who have been listening through this series. I hope that uh, maybe some, some of your questions were even a- answered. And if you have more questions ever, I hope that you feel free to, to reach out to us um, through various platforms on our website, that sort of thing. Is, is there an easy way to send in those questions to you, Danielle? Is yes. It, on apariathepodcast.com, there is a contact page and you can just submit questions there. Um, or if you're on Instagram, Podcast is on Instagram and you can just message those questions. Well, thank you for talking today. And uh, I think that'll conclude our time here. Very good. Thanks, my friend. Thanks. Thanks.